Hey, Courtney. Hey, Tom. Did you know that the world ended even before November 2016? Say what? This is Podstock. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Podstuck. My name is Tom. And my name is Courtney. And we're here to have some fun and talk some nonsense. So last time we finished off Act 1, and Courtney, you've got a very solid grasp of just kind of where the world's going right now, right? Like you really firmly understand all the aspects we've got going on? Oh, yeah. To- yeah, I definitely do not. I have no, I have no concept of what's happening, where we're going why what's happening is happening i feel very lost and very scared and very lonely in this world well would you believe me if i told you things were about to make a lot more sense you know at this point probably not and that's probably for the best because it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better so we're going to go ahead and pick up here on page 248 uh wait tom future. yeah my cat's meowing very loudly let me let him in real quick well okay so we're picking up on page 248, and uh, years in the future, but not many, we see footsteps going across the desert, and where you see one set of footprints, that's where Andrew Hussey was carrying you all along. We click on this uh, link here for a wayward vagabond records a stuttering step in the sun-bleached dust, gives us a little weird pop-up with uh, like a mini-comic inside Homestuck. We see a little dude walking along, doing his thing, finding something. It's got the Suburb logo on it, and that's all we get from him. So he found something. He's just a dude. Court, does he look familiar to you at all? He looks like an Ewok. All right. Uh, I you think may also... you showed him to me, but I don't, I don't remember. So uh, we met him in our pilot episode. He is going to one day be crowned the mayor of Cantown, but for now he is simply a wayward vagabond, as realistically all, mon- all millennials are. Then we enter the proper Act 2 and are greeted with a fairly hefty game fact, game FAQ entry by our good old friend Tentacle Therapist. And a lot of this is literally just her slamming on everyone else who reads or who writes game facts and i kind of love that despite all of the doomsday stuff rose pulled through for us and continues to just be a fucking poet at all times uh, and she reveals towards the end that the game itself has brought about the end of the world which uh, she says isn't necessarily at fault of the people who are playing the game but it's more like the end is happening and playing this game gives you a chance to actually not just die immediately. I don't know how she knows that. How does she know that the game is the only way you can survive? You know, I don't really know either. Like, at this point in the game, assuming that, like... Because, as we're going to see moving forward, uh, Hussey doesn't always just... um, do things in a linear timely fashion so i was thinking that maybe this could be an instance of like her she writing wrote this, this in, retrospect. in the future but now i'm looking at it says that it was last updated on 4 13 2009 which is actually the day this is all going down so 
don't know, man. She's just right. that good. She's just that good. All right. Then we get a little bit of a nice uh, flash animation where we see that John's house has been overrun by darkness and imps. And that basically all of the land that is not interacted with in the game so far, like, you know, the front yard, the uh, backyard, the driveway, all that, basically everything else is totally gone. And it seems like it's not just like, you know, a little bit of a crater, but as far as we can tell, it goes all the way down to the center of the earth. And then we also see that the uh, kernel sprite that we prototyped earlier with the Harlequin doll actually splits into two halves, and those halves just leave, and that's the kernel part of it, and it leaves behind only the sprite. So we now have just a fun little friend. You know, fun isn't the word I would use to describe what this thing is. No? Well, what words would you describe? If you had three and you were to explain the sprite, talk me through it. Uh, like, horror, uh, terror, and, um... I don't know, nightmare? So you would say that you consider this sprite to be a horror terror? And a nightmare. Interesting. And then our uh, commands start to be a bit different. They're no longer preceded with the um, equals equals greater than thing that kind of lets you know that there's like a command. It's just angry all caps shouting at the boy. And we are given a little flash game. And this is the first and realistically most primitive of them so far. We're just kind of walking around the house and uh, interacting with all sorts of different things. And um, there are two options for how to experience this. You can either read it uh, or you can play it as a flash game. Or if you are on a non-flash enabled device or just you want to play it otherwise, you can actually read through a full list of all of the interactions. Now, Courtney... You finally got to be in control. I know that's what you've wanted for a very long time. How did it feel? It was fun at first. And then I remembered a bit about myself that in games I have to click on literally everything I see. And it took me a long time to get through this page because I had to read every little bit. And as far as I can see, they're not the most important Oh, not at all. to the story. Yeah. Um... It's really, it, it doesn't really go that much in, um, like, in depth in what's going on. It's mostly just kind of fun, I think, really. But, um, so Hussey says that he uh, used these, uh, the stranger's commands to stop taking, like, reader-suggested uh, commands and instead give, like, or take the narrative reins back for himself and also introduce a character as well as an interface that the character is using to interact. And that's cool and all, but... That's one of those things that really you can only say in retrospect, and that doesn't super, I feel like, translate into what's going down. Um, that being said, there is some quality repartee between the uh, person at the control panel who's writing these controls and the just kind of omniscient narrator who's replying to them. So we can go through the house, and there's all sorts of fun stuff to be found. Uh, my personal favorite is on page 253-11 if you're playing it as a plain text thing, or on uh, the bathroom page, where the plumbing appears to be faulty, and John is still considering giving it a shot, even though because of the toilet on its new pedestal, um, the rim is at about hair level for him. But he considers taking a piss. He, he thinks about it. He also thinks about just going off the edge of the cliff, which is also fun. But overall, I think that he's just a man with priorities where the world ended, and he still needs to maintain 
enough dignity and poise to conduct himself properly and only urinate where that's acceptable. What a good boy he is. Truly. Now, also, as we go through this, um, Hussey acknowledges uh, something that I think is beautiful, which is that this strange man who's writing these commands knows who John Cusack is, and he goes, is, is that John Cusack? And he also knows things like what washers and dryers are and when it's an appropriate time to do laundry, and yet he doesn't know things like what handcuffs are called or what the purpose of a kitchen is or generally anything like that. So there's just some really weird precedent set there of what this person does and does not understand. I don't know, it seems pretty uh, normal to me. Yeah. So then we also go back in the room and uh, John comments that Dave considers Ghostbusters 2 to just be nasty man bro bukkake theater. And I have to agree that that's a pretty accurate assessment. Courtney, have you seen the film? I have not seen the film, but from what I understand, it's apt. It, it genuinely is. And I think that it's one of the most biting, real observations in this comic. We also start to find a strange black substance all over the place, just kind of oozing yeah. around. What is same... that? Uh, so we will find out eventually but um as john kind of finds out shortly i'll go ahead and tell you this he finds out it's an oil so there's just oil kind of seeping into the house from sources thus far unknown nice nice yeah also john goes down to the kitchen and he finds out that his dad is missing he doesn't know where he is there's no sign of him and that's pretty worrisome if you ask me also in the kitchen we find that uh there's some art on the fridge that uh, John made for his dad and his dad proudly put up there and you think that it's from his childhood but it says that it was made just one week ago and I think that speaks volumes for the pride this father has in his son's wonderful art skills. You know, what a, now, what a dad. Right? He supports whatever John does. All of his endeavors. Making him so much then, cake. So much. And just, like, always supporting him, giving him clowns when he clearly wants them desperately, fighting him in the kitchen and pieing him in the face because he knows his son enjoys the Jack Napery of a cream... Oh, mm. Don't Let's say that. Don't say yeah, that. Yeah, I... I... <sighs> Daddy creamed him. Anyway, no. Oh, no! I'm editing that out. I meant... Mm. Mm. Hmm. So we go into uh, the dad's office and we look at, I'm sorry, we look at one of his uh, posters and we're given the uh, narration, Cirque du Soleil once filed a restraining order against your father. You were never so embarrassed in your life. And that tells a story in itself that I think needs its own act, you know? I was going to say, screw Homestuck, I want that story. Yeah, like, I literally don't care about these kids anymore. I don't care if we meet the trolls. All I care about is hearing more about what John's dad did. And yeah. honestly, uh, Hussey has said that he considers this to be the best joke in the comic, and I fully agree. I don't think that the other five billion pages are needed. I think that just that could have been the finale. Yeah, we could have ended there and we would have been great. Yeah. 
But so we uh, really get into just kind of some nonsense moving around like this. You know, there's not really much actually happening. And um, in his notes, Hussey even says that uh, you would think by designating an author-created reader-slash-player to submit commands, the game would start moving along more smoothly. But no. And it truly does not. At least he's owning up to that. Yeah. And then we get out of the Flash game, but this dude is still in charge, sends John back to his bedroom where the door is still just chilling on top of the bed. His computer's going off, but uh, he's not really taking the time to respond to the friend unit. No, he does. I lied to you. The computer's going off, and John takes some time to respond to the friend unit. So John talks with Rose, and... uh, they talk about how the world's ending, how Rose is reading news reports, the meteors are getting bigger and bigger, and the one that took out John's neighborhood was the biggest one that's been reported, and how John needs to get that PDA back so that way they can uh, communicate a bit better. But then John needs to stop everything and handle the important facts, which is that Rose never wished him a happy birthday. And that's I identify with that. I really, I really do. Yeah. And then Rose just goes quiet for a second and says that she was working on something to send him but was running late and she didn't th- want him to think that she believed a meager well wishes alone would suffice for the occasion. And then she's like, whatever, happy birthday. So at least, you know, things get done in the order they need to get done in. Oh, for sure. Then, uh, yeah, you know. Hussey uh, acknowledges, uh, quote, it's exchanges like this that got some fans regarding John and Rose as a shippable commodity. But then people would also ship things like Colonel Sassaker and the pogo ride in John's backyard. Do you know why? Because I made the mistake of including them both in the same story. And that's real. That is real, real. So then we start getting uh, just things like take the fabric item on the floor and all that. And these controls are really starting to not make sense. We get blue wobbly thing. We get all this. And you can tell that the guy's kind of out of his depth at this point. So yeah, now we're trying to figure out Rose's scheme to get to the PDA and it involves recycling the uh, perfectly generic objects in order to get build grist in order to make just this long catwalk extending from the balcony over the just pillar of earth that is holding up the PDA and uh, the commander tells John to run precariously or run across the precarious platform swiftly and John refuses He's not sure about that because it's a long way down. And this is kind of interesting because it shows that whoever's in control at the control panel isn't necessarily narrating the story or fully in control of John. It's more like just some suggestions that John can still think critically about. It's like a voice in his head, kind of. He says, boy, I said make haste on the narrow catwalk. And John just starts shaking his head. He's getting very nervous. And uh, the strident tone of your commands is starting to make him a little upset. And then the voice finally concedes and just tells him to proceed as your level of comfort dictates. And John just kind of slowly shuffles out to the end. And Rose is then able, now that he's in range, to just pick up the PDA and give it to him. I'm going to burp. One moment, please. And so then he picks up the PDA, puts it in his syllabex, and that just launches a uh, another Harlequin totem out. Which is very fortunate that it missed the sprite by inches, because otherwise it would have just been double prototyped with the... Uh, Harlequin, I don't think that would have gone well for anyone involved. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, because right now, um, so uh, the sprites can be prototyped twice, right? 
Uh, there's first tier and second tier prototyping. And the first tier was the giant Harlequin doll. And now whatever kind of gets thrown into it next is going to be the second tier. We're looking at serious business. We've got the PDA back. And we're looking and seeing that people are getting very worried. All of the serious businessmen who uh, John's dad are friends with are starting to also realize what's going on and starting to also get worried. Um, specifically, they're worried about John's dad because he's not replying. Uh, they're submitting inquiry of concern over cataclysmic effect. Please reply. Uh, checking on his status of health slash wardrobe. Um, and everyone's just kind of getting worried, sending thoughts to him and... Uh, his enviable collection of pipes because they don't know where he's gone and you know this seems like a really nice close-knit community and I think this is the cast of characters that I want starring in the story of John's dad's Cirque du Soleil restraining order. Yeah I want a spinoff. I want a serious business spinoff. I want to imagine that some kind of heist story where they just tried to steal like one of the trapezes. Or they tried to perform all of them it. together. Oh my god, that's beautiful. Th- what they stole was our hearts. Was the hearts of audiences everywhere. Oh, beautiful. Oh, Courtney, this is good. We gotta write this down. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm already, I'm already think, on it. I think we need to cancel this project and instead just work on a dramatic reenactment of the perfect crime. Uh, that sounds good to me. But if if you're all in, you know, then I'm all in. Yeah, like I. I'm going to go ahead and stop recording, start taking some notes. I've got some really good ideas for character development. I've got this whole bit planned out where one of the uh, members of Serious Business just kind of like smuggles a small, small man in his pocket into the circus and no one knows. This We're getting off track. Just anyway, <laughs> so John's getting worried. He's hearing voices. He doesn't understand really that's the control panel. Instead, Rose just suggests that it's the early symptoms of an anxiety disorder like post-traumatic stress. And John really does not have time to think about that, but damn if Rose isn't just hype about therapizing her friends. Rose is prioritizing things like prototyping the kernel sprite and uh, getting a nice laptop battery fully charged. Also, John really needs to get hold of his server program so that way he can uh, get Rose in the game uh, and be her server the way that she is his. And the... uh, person in control is trying very hard to get John to to, uh, jump onto the car in some acrobatic feat that would allow him to get it, but John is a 13-year-old child after all and adamantly refuses. There we get another peek into uh, years in the future, but not many, and an unsealed tunnel welcomes hot desert air into its stagnant depths. And we see that down in this tunnel underneath the uh, little manhole cover we saw earlier is the wayward vagabond, and he is actually the one who's in charge right now at the control panel, yelling at the boy, and honestly, I forgot that it was him, and I got really excited when I remembered that. And here I was thinking, oh, it's my little friend, my little Ewok dude. Yeah, what a good man. What a good little friend. I think that he really is, like, a kind soul, you know, like, if you needed a favor... He would have it done before you even asked, you know? He's my hero. He's America's hero, Courtney. Don't hog him. Uh, okay, sorry. He's he's our hero. Thank you. So then we get back uh, to the game fact, and uh, Rose is talking more about the mechanics that we kind of spent an entire act going over, so forgive me if I only 
vaguely skim this, but she's talking about things like the Cruxtruder, Totem Lathe, Alchemeter, and the Pre-Punched card, and uh, going through uh, the purposes of each, what they do, and also talking thoroughly about the Great Whirling Batshit Pandemonium that each causes. And she goes very in-depth and really just can't be bothered to be a bit less... um, Verbose. What's the word I'm looking for? Verbose. That is the exact word I was looking for. Thank you, Courtney. So she's doing her thing. She's spreading knowledge. And then she looks outside and sees that the meteor shower is getting worse and getting closer. Now the forest around her house is on fire and it burns so hot that not even the rain is putting it out. Which is a Um, wonderful image, by the way. Like, the flashing red and, like, the sinister look in her eyes. Like, damn. I I love it. Right? Like, she's got a plan, and you can tell that it's, like, full of devious intent, and yet she's doing good things, which just means she approaches her day-to-day life with this same strategy. I love it. She realizes that her laptop battery is about to go out and uh, that she has to get the backup generator that's stored behind the cat's mausoleum. The uh, pausoleum, I don't remember if that was a joke that Hussy put in or me, but there you go. Now Rose is getting desperate and she tries to prototype the sprite with that Betty Crocker cake mix. John tells her that that sucks. It's a stupid idea. That's so dumb. And uh, he's uh, he eventually acquiesces and lets her do it. But then... Psych, the sprite jumps out of the way. Even uh, the sprite doesn't want to get. be prototyped with Betty Crocker. I think that's for the best. I think I don't think anyone would benefit from this. But uh, you guess that's what you get for originally prototyping it with something that engenders mischief and pranksterism. Which, I mean, I kind of want engenders mischief and pranksterism to be the new tagline on my business card. And I'm going to go get some of those printed off as soon as we're off the air. Brilliant. She then goes on to try to prototype the sprite with the Sassacre text, which, again, would just double down on the pranksterism and I think would be high quality. High quality in terms of humor, low quality in terms of getting shit done. That's true. It's very true. But speaking of humor and getting shit done, uh, John is tasked with distracting the uh, Colonel Sprite, or distracting just the Sprite now, I suppose. And damn, if he doesn't do a good job, just kind of standing there, shaking his arms slightly and opening his mouth in varying degrees of terrifyingness. And the Sprite's just loving it. He's really enjoying it. He really is. At the last second, the Sprite turns around and sees what she's up to and gets out of there, heads into the living room, and then uh, there's some shaking. Uh, throughout the house, and that causes Nana's ashes to fall over once again. There's a blinding flash of white, and we don't know what happened. Ooh, yikes. But I think it's pretty clear to take a guess at what happened. Uh, I think we all know that it fell on the floor, the sprite turned around, did a line of them, and then left. Obviously. So, um, John goes out to, uh, see how his grandma's ashes are doing, or as Wayward Vagabond puts it, inspect the hag ash incident, which, um... I believe that the Trump administration is going to go down after the Hagash incident. Yeah, that sounds about right. Then Rose tries to remove the crux truder from the doorway, but is unable to due to the drastic amount of build grist that such a move would take. I don't know why she doesn't just kind of pick something less heavy up and throw it through the wall and make a door, but no, John continues to be house trapped. That's the name of this comic, right? House trapped? Yeah, yeah, house trapped. Um,. I don't have more ways of spinning that phrase now, do I? <laughs> That's it's good. It's good. 
See, there's this comedic rule of threes where it's always funniest if you have three jokes to make in a row if you're listing things. But I'm a really big fan of the list of one where someone says something and then you reiterate it with like a big build up like you're going to go on. And, and then, then you just leave it. You, you know, keep expectations yeah, you... low. That's what I always say. Yes. And also, you always want to leave them wanting more. So, like, if you, like, start a joke and, like, you act like it's going to be really funny and then you just don't say a joke, they're always going to be waiting. Exactly. Tom, did you cut out again? No, I'm just trying to think of a joke still. Nice, nice. Uh, Wayward Vagabond puts in the command, uh, do again as purple words say. So not only is uh, he aware of kind of what's going on in the world, but he's also aware of the conversations that John is having. And as he's starting to go upstairs, we hear a small, lighthearted chuckle along the lines of a spirited hoo-hoo-hoo, ominous and bone-chilling. Oh, God. Then John turns, and out of the stairs, Nana Sprite emerges. Now, Nana Sprite is a great character overall. I think we can all agree, um, and I love it. So she's just kind of playing uh, reverse monkey in the middle, I think, with John's attention, popping in and out of the floor. But Wayward Vagabond insists that John ignored this woman's antics, although John's not even sure that he saw a woman, let alone any of her hypothetical antics. But whatever it was you might have caught a glimpse of, it sure gave you the willies. So John goes upstairs, and his PDA starts going off, and he is to indulge the device, but be curt with it. And then he does just that, he answers the chat log, and TG is just there with some new rhymes he wants to lay down. So yeah, so John's over here, he's panicking, everyone's dying, he thinks he's being haunted by his dead grandma, and then TG over here just wants to go ahead and uh, rap dunk on all of John's favorite movies while John is in mortal peril. And if that is not the meaning of friendship, I don't know what is. It, it's our purest and most accurate form of friendship. It really is. I mean, that's like, you know. Another instance of my really good comedy approach. Leave him wanting more. I think that's, more. that's brilliant. He's got to. You got to move on. You got to put you got to do the startup of a joke and then go. And let you them get let an them fill in the rest. Special. You go on stage and then you leave. That like that's so and the and the audience has to sit for an hour and and come up with their own jokes. You get a gig on Saturday Night Live as a host and then that cool deep voice just goes, "And welcome to the stage, Guy Fieri." And then he never walks out. And he's not even there. Well, he just he's walks got out. Things to do and that's the joke. He just walks out. Kind of Starts to say something, thinks better of it, and then turns right back out and leaves the way that he came in. He uh, takes his sunglasses off. He was actually the man playing the French horn in the band the entire time. He walks out to the audience, has a seat on some poor man's lap, and then just starts yelling, get on with the show. Where is it? Come on, I want the jokes. And they're like, we thought you were supplying the jokes, Mr. Fieri. And he's like, no, I serve you all enough. I'm off the clock. He says, the mayor of Flavortown only gets one day off a year. Let it be a special one. Yeah. Yeah, like, he finally has a Saturday off where he gets to go on a vacation from Flavortown, and you expect him to work? They expect him to be a monkey, to be a a show pig? 
to dance for us for our whims? No, we dance for him. We all dance for Mr. Fieri. And that's the meaning of love. Yeah, true words were never spoken. So now uh, John's back on the balcony. Rose uh, says that she's going to lift up the car. And then she says for John to just retrieve the game. And he panics because the door's locked. And Rose uh, tells him to break a window. And he's so sad because he doesn't want to break her dad's, his dad's uh, car. I love that. I love and his commitment like, to, being a, uh, to being a good boy. Like, even though, like, the world's ending and he literally has to do this. Right? Otherwise, his friend will die. And he's like, but I don't want to break my dad's car. Like, this is the literal apocalypse. Armageddon is raining down around him. The, like property that his house sits on is now the only property left in existence and his uh, priorities are respecting his dad's car and not pissing on the floor he's brilliant i love him good man i love him but uh rose promises that besides the window uh she'll handle the car with velvet gloves and um so then as uh she picks up the car uh, as she's wont to do, she loses the connection, and to use the uh, proper game terminology, yeets the car out of there. The car is lost uh, to the depths, to the abyss. We still don't really know what's down there. Um, and John's just a little bit sad. A little bit sad. He wanted, he didn't want to break the window. Now he doesn't have to, so I think really he should be thanking Rose, but it's just where we are right now. Tragic. Then, uh, yeah. The PDA starts going off again. And as you can see by John's very happy face, it must no longer just be his rapper friend. Instead, it is Gardenostic. She's back. She went to investigate an explosion. And it was a meteor. John guessed that. And, uh, you know, it seems like a pretty safe guess at this point. Um, she wants to investigate. But Beck doesn't want uh, her to go anywhere near it. Now, Courtney, uh, context clues, who do you think Beck is? Um, like, her mom? Her friend? I don't know. Okay. Be- Beck is short for, That'll like, do. Becca, right? It could be her mom. Sure. Sure could be. Her stepmom, because we, we, we would refer to our step-parents by their first names. I'm going to go with stepmom. That's yeah. my final answer. Locking that one in? Locking it in. Sounds good. We will revisit that later. Um, So now, uh, Gigi really wants John to uh, open up her birthday present to him. But unfortunately, Rose dropped the car into a weird, spooky, bottomless pit. And the package was in the car. And he's really sorry about that. I like how she she just doesn't question it. She just goes, oh, no. And then, like, that's it. Yeah. She's not shocked by any of this, but she has some true empathy. So he says, wow, okay, I guess I should start at the beginning. See, a meteor blew up my neighborhood. And she just, with only one exclamation point at a time and no caps, that's terrible, John. I'm so sorry. And that's just kind of like the extent of her worries here. She's the person uh, we need in a crisis. Actually, Rose is. This is We need her after the crisis just to listen to us and not input anything else. It's true. Yeah, so the game uh, he tells Gigi is kind of what's causing all this. But then Gigi's just really encouraging and uh, first off does that beautiful O underscore O face that just conveys so much emotional depth. 
And uh, she says that it sounds really crazy and kind of scary, but it also sounds kind of exciting. I don't know, John, maybe this is your destiny. If anyone can save the world, I think it is probably you. And uh, so that's like, you know, a nice supportive friend. But then he's like, it's not that simple. He was about to connect to Rose and transport her and save her from the meteors and fire and stuff. But she lost battery power and he lost the game disc. So now instead of just having this nice, uh, you know, like one-to-one ratio of server to player, he's going to have to pull uh, TG into the mix and get Turntech Godhead to use his copy to save Rose, assuming that the jackass can shut up and stop rapping and stuff. And then GG just says, haha, he is so silly. And then uh, John bails on her and Wayward Vagabond comments that the green text was very attractive and to now view the red text again. And these illustrations above the pester logs, even if they don't convey as much in terms of the story, they show so much of the spectrum of human emotion that John experiences. True. Because on page 294, we go from the nice smiley boy to a man who's jumping around, possibly going to pee his pants, hopping back into uh, his friend rapping continually about black presidents in film. And might I mention these uh, these raps? I don't know. They're they're certainly a lot. Let's just say uh, it kind of reminded me of like they are, you know, and like he's he's just really committed to his bit. It's like when you when you have a, like yeah. a really bad joke and and like you just keep going and all of us are like Tom, and you like you just keep you just keep going with your joke and we're like no please please end this joke but you you just gotta get that last bit in there. That's what this is. Yeah, I was. I was hoping that you meant um, that it was the. Uh, I, ho- I was hoping you're saying you in the kind of metaphorical you, but you you were singling me out. I mean, and I mean, we all my, do, um, but like all I can think of right now is you know escape womb <laughs> in recent times. This is a joke that comes to mind. <laughs> I was about to say that. Um, I won't get in depth on it here, but I would say that uh, the great miracle of human birth is the perfect theme. For an escape room, there can be three rooms in the game, each one dedicated to a trimester, and when Tom. you escape, blood is thrown at you, Tom. and you're crying, and a man in blue paper clothing picks you up, slaps you on the ass, and shouts out your gender, and Escape Womb is the boutique experience I'm going to open oh up in 2020 in New York, helped by, of course, Shia LaBeouf playing the doctor at the end who slaps your ass. Tom, see- it's a very well-thought-out plan, and at this point, it's transcended from a joke, so I would appreciate some respect for my business endeavors, Courtney. See, Tom, this is just... This is exactly what I mean. <laughs> I've put a lot of thought into this, okay? Yeah, I know, and that's the worst part. <laughs> it's not just off the cuff, it's like hours of planning. Okay, maybe not hours, but you took some time to think about this. No, yeah. yeah. Oh. Anyway. Anywho. Um, so John... Anywho. John, after that thorough roast of the host of this show, who had nothing... He didn't do anything to deserve this. Uh, John uh, is trying to get uh, TG, almost said his name, to get his brother's copy of the uh, game because he lost his own in uh, some mysterious manner. We cut back to Rose, who's fully out of battery power at this point and only has one thing left to do, which is make her way to the backup generator. And uh, she is told to knit a laptop cozy to shield the laptop from the rain. And while it's a fully ridiculous suggestion because time is of the essence, she already had one at the ready. So 
it all works out. Then uh, she works on um, allocating her strife specimens and at first tries to allocate the grimoire that she had, but uh, is either not allowed to or thinks better of it because there are some dark forces you just don't want to mess around with and you understand this better than most. So she puts the book back down, works on recapitalizing her items, using that tree modus, which I still don't fully understand, but the cool thing is it balances itself, so you don't have to put too much thought into it. She does, however, settle on the weapon that she wants to allocate to her strife specibus and settles on needle kind, which really pays off, as I'm sure you could imagine, because knitting is the key to world safety. Absolutely. Uh, but also, you know, it's... It's not just a matter of crafting, but she is so handy with those needles, she feels like she could probably use them to fillet a swordfish, and I believe it. I do too. I believe it and want to see it. So by doing this, she loses the root card, which severs the tree, and so all of her stuff just kind of falls. I still don't really understand how that works, but it is what it is. And uh, she considers knitting a plush cuddle Cthulhu to soothe her nerves, but she doesn't know who Cthulhu is, you know? Like... Cthulhu is bullshit, so instead she pulls out her grimoire for summoning the zoologically dubious and uh, lets us in on some of the cool stuff, you know? We get to meet some of the cool monsters, and um, I don't know about you, but uh, Fluthlu is where it's kind of at, if you ask me, and like, Nrubyaglyph seems, uh, just judging by the illustration, to have perfectly predicted Trump's election, Yeah, and I mean, really? Oglagoth is just kind of sexy. Yeah, I'm a little turned on. I'm gonna to be. Oh God, I don't even want to say that. I take it back. I really Cor- take that one back. I don't. It's not just a matter of me not wanting to hear that on this podcast, but just in Courtney life, Moss, you cannot say. You can't say those words. Yeah, to me. I just, I just really you regret can't. that. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm there sorry. are laws in place. I broke so many laws. Out. What? <laughs> Do you want me to cut that out? No, no, I don't care. Okay. Um, And then, you know, we go on to see uh, the summoning procedures for uh, these monsters, and it seems to just be the patent designs for some kind of power window with stained glass. And in the notes, uh, Hussey alludes that it might be a reference to one of his other comics, but I haven't read those, and I want to just believe that, like, this weird window apparatus is all it takes to get a demon hanging out. So Rose uh, tries to make her way out, um... And, well, she doesn't try. She does make her way out. She gets out of the observatory, and uh, the clouds start to part, and the meteors are on their way. And, Courtney, I would like you to give me a dramatic reading of the text on page 307. All right. You wonder if this rain will ever let up. It's driven since the month began, perhaps long enough to forget its purpose. It no longer even knows to assuage fire. Somewhere, a zealous god threads these strings between the clouds and the earth, preparing for a symphony it fears impossible to play. And so it threads on and on, delaying the rays of the conductor's baton. How you hate this season. April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. American sports legend Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley could not have chosen more apt words to discuss this. Good old Charles. I think that's beautiful, and Courtney, you did a great job. Thank you. Big shout out to Chuck Barkley, and how we move on to have Rose confront Mother in the hall. 
And then as we do so, as we're sure that the mother is lurking nearby and that she should be prepared for an unpleasant conference. Oh, psych. Ooh. We got a cool kid alert. Cool kid. And this guy. that's where we're going to leave it for this episode, folks. Uh, Courtney, thoughts. Give me your recap. Uh, I just, like, I just don't understand. I just don't understand. Like, there's so many things. So they have to get the game. John has to be Rose's server, but, like, he can't. So now he's getting in this guy. But then if no one's this guy's server, he'll die too. And then so will Garden garden Gnostic. And I... And I... And why aren't the pipe fan people dead? And um, I just, there's a lot going on. And I don't know what any of it means. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, the meteor showers are apparently like a worldwide phenomenon, but it seems that it's mostly uh, happening where the, um, where the games are being played. And so I think that right now it's, uh, like, you know, largely focused on Rose's area and, like, in John's neighborhood. And I think that's kind of why uh, Pipe Fan, uh, or Pipe Fan is the dad, so Pipe Fan's friends, Pipe Fan's fans, Pipe Fan Squared, the Pipers. I think that's why they are so concerned. It's because they may know of meteor showers in the area, but they don't, they aren't in imminent danger themselves, and they're just worried about their friend. There's just a lot. And I was also wondering, you know, why wasn't this a part of the Dude Bro magazine review? That's true. You think it would have Probably been a little helpful because... to be like, hmm, by the way, you'll die. Yeah. But Game uh, Game Bro probably just, like, took a nice dump instead of writing. That's I don't fair. know why that's what I went for. <laughs> just, I I just always got dumps on the brain. They always say write what you know. They say write what you know. And I like to apply that to what I say. And... I, I know a thing or two about dumping. I know one or two things about taking a dump. <laughs> I'm just saying, I've been doing this since I was in diapers. It's uh, so, the I've most got natural a couple thing weeks in the experience world. under my belt. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you guys that our next episode is going to be out on June 15th. It's going to be a Friday. It's going to be great. We're all going to party. In the meantime, guys, we are reading up until... Oh, this is beautiful. So uh, last night I was reading ahead to decide just where we were going to stop. And I was just looking for a good stopping point story-wise. And I'm very excited to tell you guys that uh, the last page of uh, this next section is going to be page 420. Ooh, so mama! Everyone who's everyone is reading along with us at home, please go ahead and read up until page 420. And then come back and be ready, I guess, for some people who have never touched a marijuana cigarette in their lives to make some weed jokes it's gonna be great hell yeah all right now uh as always guys feel free to help us out if you like this show you can subscribe on itunes you can leave us a rating or a review or anything like that but specifically ratings and reviews on itunes or your local i think they're called pod catchers at least they were back in like 2011 um we appreciate the support, guys. We're really excited about this show. We're having fun. This is, I think, the fourth episode out. Yes. And I don't know about you, Courtney, but I'm really happy with how this is going. It's pretty snazzy, I think. I think so, too. And uh, 
let's see. So you guys can uh, follow us on social media. We have a Twitter that's at Podstuck. We have a Tumblr that's uh, Podstuck Cast or Podstuck Show. I did the same thing last time. I believe it's Podstuck um, Cast. It is Podstuck Cast, yes. So our Tumblr is Podstuck Cast. You can send us asks on there. Our Twitter is just plain Podstuck, so you can just reach out to us on there. And, um,. Yeah, you can also, uh, we love to have people emailing their thoughts, their feelings, their predictions, anything like that. If you're reading along for the first time, email us and let us know what you're thinking, what you're thinking along the lines of Courtney. If you're reading along with us and you've read it before or you know what's going on, tell me what you want to see happen. Tell me what you are, like, thinking will be interesting for Courtney to experience. Or, honestly, this week, I would really like to hear you all tell me your thoughts about my escape womb. So please feel free to send any and all emails concerning any of these topics to podstuck at gmail.com. You can't see right. me, but I'm just, uh, Courtney, I'm just shaking my head in, in uh, disappointment over here. I can't see with my eyes, but I can see with my heart, and I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, to be fair, you brought up the topic this time. I was seconds away from bringing that myself, but this one's on you. All right, I, I accept the terms. All right, now before we uh, sign off, Courtney, we got a brief glimpse of the cool guy, right? Yes. What do you think of the cool guy? I think he is a cool guy. If I had to name him, I would name him Reginald Vanderbilt. Interesting. Okay, okay. I like uh, his swords on the wall. Oh, I like his turntable atop cinder blocks yeah he's got this guy's just kind of got it all this record collection too yeah yeah it's pretty swaggy if you ask me super swaggy swaggy is the exact word i would use to describe this man and i'm sure it's his uh self-identifier as well all right folks that is gonna do it for us for this week uh subscribe review follow email Text me your thoughts. I'm not giving you guys my number, but, but you, can you can figure find it out. if you want to that bad. Yeah. If you guys just put in uh, 1949 Homestuck, it's actually going to give you our direct line. And uh, just don't worry if we're playing coy and reply like, I don't know who this is. Please stop texting me. I'm contacting the authorities. Just keep sending us your thoughts day it's in, a, day out. It's Let a gag, really. It's It's a joke. It's it's a joke. It's it's like uh, it's like those Logan Paul mailing lists. Like we're just kind of pranking around, you know. Just hit us up and please don't give up. We want to hear everything you have to say. <laughs> okay, guys, uh, that's all for this episode slash week. We will be back in two weeks. Eventually, we'll be going weekly. I promise. But for now, we'll be back on June fifteenth. And today, my name has been Tom, and my name has been and will continue to be Courtney. And we continue to not have a super cool sign-off, so we're just going to say bye. 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 Bye.